Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, it's only been a week since we've spoken, but it kind of feels like everything changed since then. It's been quite the week, Max. Uh, the listeners seem to really support the live episode, I thought, which was great. Um, and we got a little bit more to talk about for this week. Yeah, we were worried we wouldn't have much to talk about for this one since we just did the free agency podcast, but we have a ton to talk about. First of all, Josh Eck is no longer a Phoenix Sun, mm-hmm. so we'll have to break down that trade and how we got to the Memphis Grizzlies. Then, as we alluded to a little bit, uh, Kawhi Leonard blew up the entire NBA uh, with his decision to go to the Clippers and bring along a star with he him. Sure so we'll did. talk about we'll talk about that and how it impacts the Suns and the league at large. Uh, and then finally, we'll close out with our thoughts on the Kelly Oubre situation, which is, David, rapidly evolving into a situation. It is. And, uh, you know, we got a little lucky with the Rubio signing happening mid-live pod last episode, and I'm not sure what that pod would have been like without it. So got to thank the Suns for that one, and maybe they can throw us another alley-oop here and uh, drop the Oubre news while we're mid-pod as well. Although, this time around, at least, if it doesn't come, we have a lot of ground to cover anyway, Max. That is true. It won't just be us uh, stammering about listener questions or whatever else. <laughs> uh, and then we'll finish up by kind of looking at the entire Suns offseason as a cohesive whole, other than Newberry, obviously. Talk about our thoughts about what James Jones and crew did. Mm-hmm. But uh, one quick thing before we get into the episode, we found out that uh, after our Nerdcast podcast, we briefly got onto the Top 200 Sports Podcast chart yes. on iTunes, which was awesome, uh, amazing, kind of stunning. We want to thank you all for that. Uh, we also found out that the reason why we got on there, really because of the, how many of you reached out uh, with reviews and, and subscribe uh, subscriptions yep. after Nerdcast, and that, that just boosted us up. So just want to thank you so much for doing all that again. We, we super appreciate it. And for those of you who haven't done one or the other yet, uh, if you can find some time to do it, we'd really appreciate it. It obviously really helps. Got us into the charts. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge help for us. We, we go on about it quite a bit recently, A, because we just love hearing the feedback from listeners, and it definitely changes how we structure up shows but you know the way those things work and the algorithms the the more help that current listeners give us the the more chance we have of new listeners jumping on which obviously is to no detriment of the current listeners we love you guys for being on since the start but uh, the more listeners the better for us max absolutely feed the algorithms <laughs> um all right david how about a Brief recap before we get started here. Sure. Uh, of course, as we covered, Rubio was uh, the signing on last week's show, three years, $51 million. That's not announced yet, which we may get into a little bit later of why or how that isn't announced. Then came the Frank Kaminsky signing for the Room MLE there, Max. That was two years, $10 million. That one's not announced. Um, a little more, I guess... 
explainable that one with uh you know the room exception needing to be used after your cap room and, and all your other moves are made so we probably won't see frank officially a phoenix sun until all these other moves are taken care of then in general nba terms after that it was all waiting on Kawhi for most of the week as you mentioned before and we got the biggest of all of them with the <laughs> big dropping of the Kawhi news and the paul george news at the same time uh, the other big ones that we didn't cover, we got pretty lucky on the live show. Most of them dropped pretty quickly, so we covered them last episode. But uh, Horford went to Philly, which I don't think we'd got to yet. D'Lo went to the Golden State Warriors. And Butler went on a sign-and-trade to Miami. So they were all the big ones before the Kawhi PG-13 PG sorry, stuff dropped. But Max, we're going to discuss those in a little bit longer. But what was your initial reaction? Again, do you remember what you were doing or where you were when that stuff dropped? Because it was all very weird for me. Yeah, it was odd. Um, was in a tax or an Uber, not a taxi. It's 2019. <laughs> uh, on the way home from a from a bar, where I was actually hanging out with Chris Hansen. Uh, it almost dropped while I was hanging out with Chris Hansen, which would have been interesting. <laughs> but uh, I was just with a buddy in, in the taxi cab with our, with our his wife and my fiance, and it, it was around I don't know, it was like ten o'clock, ten thirty, maybe something like that. Yeah. And uh, just sort of reading out all the tweets out loud to my buddy, who's also an NBA fan, uh, just basically just in a crazed state of excitement, while uh, my fiance looked at me like I was a, basically just a horrible human being. <laughs> I was I was very <laughs> similar. I, I was working all day, so. Uh, in the work that I do on the weekends, my phone is essentially offline. So I basically jumped in a car just like you and it all started to filter through to me and I was trying to keep up with what the hell was going on. But we'll get a little bit more to that later, particularly the package that it took to get Paul George over to the Clippers. But through all that, we still wait on Kelly Oubre, Max. There's no leaks or updates from either side, but essentially all the cap space has dried up, particularly this morning with the DeLon Wright signing to the Dallas Mavericks from Memphis. They did that as a sign-and-trade with a couple of second-round picks. But again, more on that later. And of course, the one that I've purposely missed, Max, the Jackson trade went down on July 3rd in the middle of all that, involving Jackson, Melton, two seconds, and Javon Carter, and of course, Kyle Korver, if you want to throw in him too. So do you want to lead us into that one? Yeah, so I'll run it down very quickly, uh, what we gave out. You gave a little bit of recap. There's a little more detail we'll get, and then we'll get your reaction to it. So, obviously, Phoenix sent Josh Jackson to Anthony Melton, their 2022 second unprotected, and then the top five portion of their 2021 second. Yep. If you recall, they previously traded the rest of that pick as part of the Dudley Holmes series of deals last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, Memphis sent over Kyle Korver and Javon Carter. The Kyle Korver part was important because while these contracts basically matched up with each other, Corver's deal was able to be cut before today, actually, on or before today, to get down from $7.5 million to $3.44 million, allowing the Suns to sign Ricky Rubio. Uh, David, I'll get to my thoughts in a second. I'm a well-known D'Anthony Melton stand, so there's a good <laughs> chance I'm lower on this than you are, but where are you on this deal? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, my reaction to it was, you know, it was the deal that had to come in order to make the math work and and free up the space. By my numbers, they've freed up about $700,000 in space, which means that they can sign Rubio, uh, keep that $700,000, which won't be of much use to them at the moment, I wouldn't imagine, keep the Kelly Oubre cap hold, and then re-sign Frank Kaminsky-Lask, as I mentioned before. But, you know, my initial reaction after that and working out that that was really what was 
coming here to sign Rubio, and we kind of speculated on that last episode, I think, and we even speculated that Melton might be the one that had to go with Josh. I wasn't expecting two seconds, essentially, to go out as well. I thought Melton might be enough to get Jackson off the books, but I guess that's the price that it took when they took it around. But, you know, I look at that versus, and I've been pretty vocal on this, the stretch option that they had with Josh. They could have put $2.33 million uh, on each of the next three years uh, and save the same amount of cap room, basically, that it would have allowed them to sign Rubio as well. And I'm sure they would have been aware of that because they, you know, it's no coincidence that Rubio got signed to around, you know, $16.5 million to start and that the stretch option was there in case no teams helped them out with a trade. But I guess they like this trade better than the stretch option, Max, which I don't quite understand. But one thing that I'm definitely going to be doing as well as watching D'Anthony Melton's progress in the next couple of years is I'm going to be making sure that they use that every last bit of their space the next couple of years because if they don't, that's where it gets a real possibility that they made the wrong move here. Yeah, and the odd thing also is depending on what happens with Ubre, I'm not sure they're going to be able to have space anyway. Definitely not significant space. Um, as you said, they could have created the same amount or even a little bit more cap room by stretching Josh Jackson. Yep. Uh, obviously, this year it would have been totally meaningless. Next summer, it's pretty close to meaningless given how bad the free agency is and how mm-hmm. we're probably not going to have significant space anyway. Yep. So really what you're looking at here is a trade-up between $2.3 million in the summer of 2021, like the amount that hurts you. Versus the penalty of you know giving away Melton uh, a second round pick and then you know one half of a second round pick in this yeah. deal, I, I think that to me it's pretty obvious that you'd rather you know just take the cap hits and not give away uh, a guard who looks pretty good and then these these picks. But I, I think if you're looking at it uh, as James Jones, you know he didn't acquire Melton. He may not even like Melton. Uh, he doesn't really want to pick with a second round pick next year anyway. I'm guessing. Yeah. And then in you know 2021, it's like it's far off second. I'm probably gone. None of this works anyway. So I can see why James Johnson or sorry James Jones did this, but at the same time, as a, as a pure asset play, I think it was a mistake. Uh, overall, though, I'm just happy Josh is gone now. I think that was one of the things that had to happen this off season if they were really gonna stay true to their mantra that they were gonna you know change the culture here, really really put the ties on that. And I, th- yep. I think they have done that. So overall, I think. It's going to be a beneficial thing, but it hurts because I think the asset play was less than spectacular. Yeah, and we should touch on that. I think with a lot of James Jones's moves so far, you know, there's a couple of things that are standing out to me. One, you know, he's clearing out Ryan McDonough's roster. Yeah. Uh, he's he's basically completely turned it over. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, essentially the only two left um, from Ryan McDonough's tenure. You know, that's now Jackson, Len, Chris, Bender were all very high draft picks for Ryan McDonough that didn't work out. So, you know, in retrospect, his draft record looks abysmal, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I guess Melton, it just wasn't a guy that James Jones um, attached himself to. And, you know, we they, they are bringing in Carter here, which, you know, two interesting things. It was they're on the exact same money. So from the the cat mm-hmm. mechanic stuff and the math, they basically cancelled each other out. And a lot of people have pointed out they're very similar players. Um, you know, both defense focus first with their offensive struggles. Carter really struggled last year in a pretty small sample size as a rookie. But, you know, there, there is something there with him. Very similar contract to Melton, though, where he's essentially 
uh, a restricted free agent after this year coming. Uh, and, you know, he's a little bit smaller. He's 6'1 with a 6'4 wingspan versus Melton 6'4 with a 6'8 wingspan. So it's going to be interesting. I really liked Carter. I remember talking to you about him as a possible booker fit down the road when we were doing the the very first episodes of second seven, seven seconds or less uh, around last year's draft. But, you know, I still like the upside of Melton more. But, you know, at least they got something back in this trade other than uh, the cap-clearing move around Corver, I suppose. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's better than not getting a guy back at all. But, man, I was with you on Javon Carter to a large extent last year when we were doing this around the draft time. Mm-hmm. The problem is we got an entire year under our belts with him. And, you know, he's not like a 19-year-old. This dude's 24 already. Correct. Uh, about to turn 24 before next season. Uh, he kind of had a historically bad offensive season last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shot below 30% from between his ear to three feet from the rim, which seems bad. Uh, he was in the one percentile in points per shot attempt, according to Cleaning the Gas, which is not good. Not good. Uh, as you mentioned, defensively, pretty good. Blocks and seals were good. I think he's a good one-on-one defender, probably a better one-on-one defender than DeAnthony Melton is, at least with guards. Yep. Problem is, as you also mentioned, uh, DeAnthony Melton's like a condor. He's massive. Huge yes. wingspan, can be versatile, guard a lot of positions, get in passing lanes, all that kind of stuff. Not not really the case here with, with Javon Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the impact stats. I think you know a lot of the Suns' defensive stats went up quite a bit when Melton was on the floor. Uh, Memphis was just bad, really bad when Javon Carter was on the floor, like way worse than even they were normally. Yeah. So uh, it's tough, man. I don't. I think unless Javon Carter makes a huge uh, leap as far as a shooter and you know just finishes like somewhat respectably of an offense, I think he's probably out of the league. But again, they. I don't think they view him as a major part of this trade. This is about opening up the space. Uh, and about getting rid of Josh Jackson, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. It's just a look at him, I suppose. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even be totally surprised if he's not on the team to start the season, if the roster positions start to crunch a little bit and they like a couple of guys a little bit longer term. But, you know, taking a look at him, at least, if Memphis was willing to send him back the other way, particularly because of those college numbers, um, is, is worth the look. But we should probably t- touch on Jackson a little bit more and, and uh, kick him on the way out, perhaps, here, Max. But, yeah, I will not miss Josh at all. I've seen a lot of people talking about this being a mistake and how it could come back to burn the Suns. And, you know, I Memphis taking a look... Um, at him, it sounds like they were much more interested in Melton rather than Jackson, and this was just the, you know, price of doing business. But you know, they'll take a look at him. He might turn things around there um, in a better environment, maybe with um, a change or a kick up his own backside, perhaps Max. With everything that's been going on with him in the past, he's kind of complained quite a lot about the situation that he was dealt with the Suns. So I don't know, maybe a, a stronger culture in Memphis might be able to help turn things around for Josh. But the point for me there is even if he does turn it around in Memphis, I I still wouldn't feel any regret because I just don't sense that that turnaround was ever going to come in this situation in Phoenix. And as you touched on at the top, which I thought was the most important point, this was a very necessary move if they were going to, I guess, cap off all these other moves that they've made to make a strong roster around the two guys that they are establishing as the building blocks for the Suns moving forward. Yeah, you simply couldn't keep him around and then with a straight face mention all those culture-changing things. You know what I yep. mean? Like they, He had to go. Uh, as far as him possibly turning it around and this biting the Suns in the butt a little bit, I... 
Here's how he turns it around. He needs to just you know go full on role player, concentrate mm-hmm. only on three and D because I'm telling you right now, that guy just does not have the decision making chops to be a star. It's just it's not going to happen for him. Yeah. You don't go from being the worst decision maker in the league to you know a star level decision maker. Which unless you're Russell Westbrook, you kind of have to be you know one of the best decision makers. In, in the world to even be a star, superstar yep. NBA player. So it's just not there with him. He also, he's, he's, he was miscast kind of coming to the NBA. People thought he was like a wing stopper, yep. like Kawhi and Iguodala. He's a slight frame. He's really more of a shooting guard. I called him a guard uh, earlier on on the tweet. I'm going to call him a guard later when I kind of look at the roster versus last year. Because right now he is a shooting guard. That's what he yep. is. Except for he can't shoot. Uh, and he's not really, he can't be your lead guard because you know, his decision making as a passer is not good enough. So I don't really know what he's going to be for you long term. Maybe if he can bulk up, he can be a, you know, the 3 and D wing we were sort of promised, just a low usage sort of role so his decision making doesn't kill you. But as, as far as like biting us in the butt, like he's like, like a, you know, a 10 time all star, I, I, I just don't see that possibility really. Yeah, shout out to uh, Earl Watson who started him at power forward <laughs> in his first three games. Uh, now that you're recognizing very rightly that he was probably more of a shooting guard than a power forward, Max. It's hard to miscast somebody by two positions like that. That's, <laughs> he went from a guard to a, a big to a guard. Like that's that's really a, a big gap. If yeah. anyone can do it, Earl Watson can do it, Max. He has a lot of power in that in that regard. <laughs> uh, anything else on this trade you want to touch on, or should we move on to uh, the big NBA seismic stuff? No, I think we can move on from that. We've got to say goodbye to DeAnthony Melton, unfortunately, um, and mm-hmm. we wish Jackson all the best, but uh, a positive trade all round, even though I probably would have done things a little bit differently personally, um, but I'm not going to kick them too much for that one because, uh, as we'll get into later, I'm... A, strong supporter of the Rubio move uh, and getting stronger by the day, Max. Yep, I think we're going to be on the same page with that one to an extent, but we'll save that. Uh, All right, let's get into Kawhi Leonard here. So Kawhi went to the Clippers on a four-year max, Yep, which was somewhat of a surprise because people, I think, thought for the most part he was going to go to the Lakers or Raptors, so it was was a bit of a shock. Mm -hmm. But the real shock was the follow-up which is that Kawhi Leonard convinced Paul George to demand a trade from the Thunder, or maybe just ask for one. Maybe demand's too strong. It's unclear. Uh, but anyway, a trade of Paul George to the Clippers to be his second star in exchange for Shea Gilders-Alexander on a rookie deal, Danilo Gallinari on an expiring, mm-hmm. and then the following draft assets. 2021 Heat unprotected, 2022 Clippers unprotected, 2023 Heat lot protected until 2026, then unprotected, 2023 Clippers pick swap, 2024 Clippers unprotected, 2025 Clippers pick swap, 2026 Clippers unprotected. David, I just, I guess, what's your overall, what's the first thing you think about when you think of this trade? Like, what is really impacting your thoughts on this one? Firstly, I'll say for any U of A fans listening, Rondé Hollis Jefferson just signed with Toronto. So that dream with the Suns has just gone out the window there, Max. But back on the Kawhi news. Just I was always, seismic of news. <laughs> <laughs> I was always wary of the Clippers, but just not like this. I think, you know, the longer it went on, I thought the pull of uh, the LA market and I guess home for Kawhi was going to be too strong. But, you know, I didn't think that he'd want to just join and play, I guess, third string to LeBron and AD. So that was always the biggest hurdle, which is why I was always a little bit wary of the Clippers here. So, you know, I guess this LAC roster's kind of like Toronto last year, but on steroids, mm-hmm. uh, but but in a harder conference, I suppose. You know, you've got Kawhi, PG, Pat Bev, Lou Williams, Montrez, your boy Landry, 
Zubak, and then they somehow lucked into Mo Harkless as well as like a eighth or ninth man on this team. So it's pretty strong behind two max players. So, you know, great move by Kawhi. We all thought, you know, he's this uh, silent, doesn't really care about what anyone else is doing, but he's moving in the shadows. You know, I even saw something last night around he moved his Lakers meeting and people were speculating that it was probably because he met with Paul George earlier that day in that area in LA and basically made the Lakers people come to him versus where the the meeting was originally scheduled. So, you know, from that respect, massive respect to Kawhi Leonard for pulling this off. Uh, And then on the other side with the surprise with uh, Paul George, you know, I was listening to the Low Post yesterday and Zach Lowe made a point of how essentially Serge Ibaka has become this huge haul for OKC. And as sad as Presti would have been for Paul George to come and demand a trade, as you said, or, or ask for one, he's turned Serge Ibaka into Sabonis and Oladipo, into Paul George, into all those assets that you just rattled off. And you can't complain with that because it is a huge draft haul, Max. Yeah, Sam Presti may have been freaking out when he first heard from Aaron Mintz, Paul George's agent, that Paul George wanted out. But yeah. I guarantee you, once this trade was consummated, he was no longer freaking out because he <laughs> made an incredible trade. And in large part, the way he was able to do that is because he just had an infinite amount of leverage. The reporting has been that Kawhi would have gone to the Lakers had the Clippers not done this. Yep. So that fact, plus the fact that the Clippers really are paying for Kawhi and Paul George here, uh, in addition to their rival not getting Kawhi, like this is, I, they had to just pay everything for this. There's really nothing that should have been off limits for this trade. Mm-hmm. But, and that's part of why I think one thing that's being really overlooked here is how the Clippers were able to retain some assets here. Even though they gave away you know, the farm by all accounts, they shrewdly held on to their 2020 and 2021 firsts, mm-hmm. which allow them to trade their 2020 first at any time this year without violating the Sepian rule. So that's going to be a powerful asset. They can package that with, you know, whoever, Harkless or some salary to, to make a real a real move. Yep. Um, and it also allows them to use their 2021 pick once they get to the draft in 2021. So the early years on uh, for Kawhi and George, as they're building the team around them to maximize their title odds, they will have some wiggle room here, which is it's sort of the difference between this and what the Lakers did. The Lakers just have no wiggle room. They, they have those guys, they signed, they got the band back together again immediately <laughs> after the Kawhi trade, which is a fun little subplot that happened after that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I think the key thing here is the Clippers not only added uh, maybe the best player in the league and then, you know, the guy who finished third in MVP voting last year, uh, both of them who are kind of in the you know, middle of their prime to late stage of their prime. Yep. They also, as you mentioned, kept just an incredible amount of depth on the roster with them and they kept some assets still around for them to continue building. It really is just an incredible night for the Clippers. Yeah, and teams don't think about that enough. I think we touched on this with maybe a Milwaukee trade on a very early episode of ours. Mm -hmm. You know, if you start throwing protections around picks and stuff, that's great to protect yourself against, you know, falling uh, or or winning the lottery or, or winning one of the top spots. But it also kind of hamstrings you from being able to, deal other picks because until the protections or all those picks are conveyed then because of the Stepian rule you you know can't deal other picks so yeah I think that's mm-hmm. a good point by you in in a just giving up unprotected unprotected picks 
uh, later on uh, and keeping a couple of those early ones for themselves as well. But, you know, we've we'd essentially just got a league of duos now, Max. There's a couple mm-hmm. of teams that are stronger than others, but you look around the league, and I'm going to throw this to you, put you on the spot a little bit, maybe give mm-hmm. me your, your top three here going forward, not just for next season because I'm throwing KD in there who obviously isn't going to play next year. But Brooklyn have KD and Kyrie. Golden State still have Curry, and I'm going to say Dre is more important. Houston have Harden and Chris Paul. The Clippers, as we said, have got PG and Kawhi. LA Lakers have LeBron and Davis. Milwaukee has Giannis and Middleton. And Philly has Embiid and Simmons. What are the top three duos there for the next couple of years, Max? It's a great question. Um, I think for me, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are number one. Yep. A combination of age. I like the way they fit together, and I just think their games are both really well uh, suited for the playoffs, Mm -hmm. especially Kawhi, as we've seen. Uh, Man, I I guess I kind of, if we're just going pure duos, I think I got to go with the Lakers guys next. Yeah. Even though I'm concerned about, you know, LeBron James, you know, he's getting up there. People tend to over or ignore that for some reason, but I know he's kind of a cyborg, but he's also 35. And at some point, the wheels will come off. Yep. But still, if you're looking at the upside here, they probably have the, even more upside than the Clippers do. Um, and then the final one, that's really interesting. See, a couple of those guys, like the fall off from Giannis is too far probably for me to include that as just a pure duo. Yeah. I think I'm going to stay with the Golden State guys for now, largely on the strength of Curry. But also because I think Draymond, once you get in the playoffs, is a top 10 guy you'd really want. Yeah. And I do expect them, uh, maybe they won't win a title, uh, you know, with the score again. But I expect them to certainly be heard from uh, at some point in the next couple of years. Yeah, we might get an all-time Curry season next year. Oh, yeah. One of his last big seasons in his prime because he is getting on in age a little bit. But yeah, I guess for me, I'd pretty much agree with you. It all comes down to KD and, and how he comes back and what percentage of himself he mm-hmm. is uh, with Kyrie. And, and hopefully uh, Kyrie hasn't done too much damage in the 12 months that KD is out um, tearing. Yeah, I, I should have mentioned them uh, as, as part of my honorable mentions there. Uh, because <laughs> I do think if KD comes back strong, that I mean, that's obviously in the top three. It's probably my number three. But yeah. there's just a lot of concern with that. And also you got to factor in this year too, if you're, if you're just talking about outlook. So mm-hmm. this year's obviously sort of a, a throwaway, probably. So that's kind of why they're they're out of the, the mix. Another quick one for you. You mentioned Gallinari there before. I've got an alternate offseason for you, Max, and I want you to pick between what the Suns currently did versus this alternate. So okay. say we don't do the pick six for 11 and Sarich trade and the Suns take either Culver or Kobe White, you're not allowed to take Brandon Clark because I know that would tip the scales for you. So then we don't get Saric. We still do the Jerome deal, uh, get Aaron Baines in. All the other stuff still remains the same. And then we try and offer, after this deal has gone down, Tyler Johnson, Jerome, and the Suns first unprotected for next year for Danilo Gallinari. Whoa, unprotected first? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Not for, not for, Galinari's a really good player. Uh, problems, you know, well chronicled, his injury issues. Uh, I've been a struggle for him his whole career. And then, also, he's expiring. Like, I, I for me, I, I guess this is where I'm closer to Cole Zwicker, who seems to think this way. If I'm giving away an unprotected first round pick uh, in any year, it's got to be somebody like that under team control for a little while and yeah. who's really good. And that's why it made sense for me with Drew Holiday. Uh, yep. 
it's it for me. Not, that Gallinari is not quite there for me, especially given the injuries. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I went with the unprotected purely because I think Sam Presti's probably going to hold on to his expiring until he gets an amazing deal. So particularly if we're talking the offseason rather than, say, the deadline, which was another thing that I thought about was do the Suns you know, just roll with what they currently had in this alternate all the way through to the deadline and then maybe try and pick up Gallo or something with a more long-term outlook at the deadline. But yeah, I think I just wanted to flag that Gallo, all the talk at the moment is on Russell Westbrook um, and a potential trade out. But I think Gallo is going to be a really interesting piece that a lot of contenders probably rather than the Suns are going to be sniffing around as a a rental uh, for their rosters for this year, Max. Oh, I totally agree. I think Gallo's going to have a, a wider market than Russ is going to have just because it's a lot easier to trade for him than it is to trade for Russ. Yes. There are really only a few teams that can trade for Russell Westbrook. In fact, I, if I had to bet, I really think it's going to be Miami. It just makes the most sense by far hmm. for them to trade for Russ because they're trying to build around uh, Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Uh, they don't really have a lot of ways to get better. And trading for Russ, I, a lot of people, I think... Like I was getting questions about whether the Suns would need to trade Mikel Bridges or you know a future first and stuff like that for Russell Westbrook. His market ain't going to be that, I don't think. That, that contract is just too bad. I think it's the third worst contract in the entire league behind John Wall and, uh, and Wiggins in Minnesota. Th- those are just two disasters. <laughs> yeah. Russ isn't quite on that stage because you know he's still a really good player. But I don't think he's going to be a good player in 2022-23 when he's making $47 million. And that's what you got to think about when you're trading for him. Exactly. Uh, so it's going to be tough. And Miami is the only team I could really see being desperate enough for him. They could also possibly bring in uh, Stephen Adams if they got enough contracts involved. What do you think about that? If you're Miami, do you just go for broke? You know, package together. You it's going to take like Winslow, Drogic. Uh, I think you need to get like James Johnson. There a bunch of contracts, but yep. not not really huge assets. Just a bunch of medium bad money or medium decent money. And do you go get Russ? Yeah, I mean, while we're talking about this, you threw up Adams. I automatically thought, can they get Gallo in that deal? Mm, and, mm. and Russ and Gallo go together to Miami uh, to play with Jimmy Butler, and, and hopefully they can maybe match enough salary with some of those contracts that you mentioned there. So, yeah, I think they're the first team that comes to me. I said to you privately yesterday, we touched on it before, I think the haul that Presti got for Paul George makes it a lot easier to just deal Russ to anyone that will mm-hmm. take him particularly if he makes the decision that they're just going to go the full rebuild and and quite like how the clippers can justify the haul by essentially saying we traded all that away for Kawhi and Paul George i think presti can somehow justify to his fan base as well that they got all of that for Paul George and Russell Westbrook so yeah i wouldn't as a thunder fan be expecting much of a return for Russell Westbrook, uh, and I hope that our team stays away from the deal entirely, no matter what the cost is, Max. Oh, absolutely agree. And, and Cole Booker made a great point the other day, second name job for him, uh, that you know, OKC's going to trade Russell where he wants to go. Yes. Uh, especially given, as you just mentioned, they don't really need to maximize the return for him. They, they got the return they needed already. Yeah. Uh, so I don't expect him to come here. And then also the other point I want to make on that, another reason for them to trade Russ ASAP, probably before the season starts, is that this, at this stage, OKC, some of their best assets are going to be their own picks. Because mm-hmm. now they're going to be able to sort of do the tanking thing. Yep. Develop SGA and just, you know, just kind of focus on that. So you want to get Russ off the team. Russell Westbrook, for his faults, is definitely the ultimate floor raiser. Mm-hmm. You're not going to lose more than, you know, 50 games if you have Russell Westbrook on your team. You're just not. So I would definitely trade him 
uh, yesterday. If I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I think I think we'll see it soon too. I think it's going to be Miami, but but we'll see. Uh, do you want to go ahead and move on to a little more free agency stuff? We want to go over uh, some stuff we like and didn't like. Yeah, I think now that most of the deals are in the bank, we can pick some of them apart, particularly with the context of you know other options and the full market bearing itself out. So the deal that I hated was the Corey Joseph deal, which throws a, a mm-hmm. bit of a Suns link in there for the listeners. Three years, $37 million. I believe the third year is a partial guarantee. So that essentially matches up with Fox's rookie deal, which is a, I guess, smart bit of business for the Kings, but it's still $12.5 million a year for him to play as a backup point guard, essentially, Max, which Mm -hmm. is a lot of money when you look at, uh, I guess, some of the other deals that have played out since then. This was a deal that was done on the first day, if my memory serves me correctly. So, you know, the Suns connection is there. I keep looking at this deal, particularly in conjunction with the Rubio deal, uh, and, you know, I would take the Rubio deal 10 times out of 10 in terms of what Corey Joseph brings to the table. Uh, I was into him as a, I guess, below $10 million a year possible stopgap option for the Suns. But as soon as you get into that kind of money, I just think that's a terrible deal in general and a terrible deal for the Kings in their contact context. Uh, and I'll throw Trevor Ariza in there as well uh, with the Kings, I thought. Even again, second year, I think, is a partial guarantee on that one. But there's just no way off what we had to watch last season and then even what he did with the Wizards that he deserved that kind of money going to Sacramento, Max. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Sacramento really overpaid in a lot of these deals. Uh, I don't necessarily hate all the players they got, although I do kind of hate Trevor Ariza. But, <laughs> I, but uh, Harrison Barnes, fine player, but kind of a clear overpay. Like you said, Corey Joseph, same kind of thing. I'm with you on that. I, I'm not really sure why Sacramento felt... The need to chase these guys. I think they have a they have they have one of those uh, they have overachieved disease. Yes. They, they overachieved last year and they're trying to like take the next step. But I think they're just as likely to regress and then have a bunch of guys who are overpaying. On and Igor e- Ariza reunion in Sacramento, Max. <laughs> well, everyone was waiting for. Uh, I'll get on to my don't like here. So mine's basically everything the Knicks did other than signing Randall, which I think made some sense. Yep, as like an upside play, but. I think they made that a worse signing, honestly, by, by following up with Portis and Taj Gibson. I, I don't understand why they did that. I'm with um, you on that. Filling up their cap space just to basically block Mitchell Robinson, who's like their best young guy, and Kevin Knox, who they invested the most in, both of whom are big. It's like, I don't really understand why they're doing that with these guys. Yep. Um, especially when we kind of saw that, and this is a point Bill Simmons made a lot, we saw what having open cap room can do for you. Memphis brought in Igadala and got a really nice asset for it. Mm-hmm. The Clippers brought in Harkless and got a really nice asset for it, plus Mo Harkless, who's better than most of the guys the Knicks got. I just don't really understand what the impetus was behind those deals. Like, I get they're short. They're either two years or one year with an option, but I mean, cool. I mean, what's the upside here, with, especially <laughs> with Todd Gibson? Like, all right, are you going to develop him for a year and trade him when he's 36 for an asset? Like, what exactly are you trying to gain there? I just, I don't really get it. I get that you, you get the veterans to go around your young guys, but yep. those ones didn't fit and didn't make sense to me. So that, that, that was mine, not like. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, you know, the one caveat that I would throw in is we obviously talk a lot about the Suns' huge playoff drought, needing to get some competency back on the court. Um, mm-hmm. So I can I can kind of see what New York are doing there instead of being a I guess a cap dump team with no real hope for this year or the future other than some of those young kids that they've got. But yeah, I think the smarter move probably would have been to go with your alternative. Um, but I guess for me, the real fail here, uh, and you've been on Twitter this morning talking about PR nightmares, but the fact that they put out a press release (laughs) on day one of free agency defending essentially or saying it's not the end of the world that we didn't get Kevin Durant while they were signing these guys is just an ultimate fail to me. Like they basically, I think the press release said, we understand that Knicks fans might be disappointed with our off season. And then a wodge bone would break that they've signed Julius Randall to a deal to come and join the Knicks. Like how do you come up with the idea of doing those two things together at the same time? It just literally makes no sense. Like that was the biggest disaster for me for the Knicks. Oh, I totally agree with you there. I, I should have actually had that in my notes, forgot to mention it. They, I can't believe they did that. Like, <laughs> even if you're going to have a failure of a summer, why are you admitting it on day one? What are you doing? It's ridiculous. It's insanity. And I, and these are the kind of things, and and listen, I got to I gotta be a little negative on the Suns here because Scott Howard makes this point a lot too, and I think it's right. Like, we can get excited about these moves sometimes, but these teams just do these head-scratching things sometimes that make you think like, God, do these guys really get it? I'm really yep. not sure they get it. Yeah. How about some right. that you loved? Yeah, let's let's be positive here, David. Um, this is going to come as no surprise to anybody who follows me on Twitter or, or listens to this podcast, but I thought the Bulls getting Tomas Hadaransky for a 3-30 was just incredibly good. Um, and I think perfect. there's even a partial guarantee in that third year in case things go horribly wrong. Is there is... really? Oh, yep. man. What a deal. And just the perfect kind of player for them, too. Mm-hmm. He fits that whole hard-working defensive mindset thing that Jim Boylan's got going on. He's a great fit with uh, Zach Levine in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll help them ease in Kobe White, because as, as we said in this podcast a million times, had we drafted Kobe White, we wouldn't want him to start. Correct. So it's nice to have Sadoransky. I think they're going to start him. He sort of implied that he is the likely starter okay. uh, in an interview, so I, I think he's going to start... He also shoots well. He's going to help the bigs there develop. I just think he's good in kind of every way. And, he, and the key point is that if you're going to if you're going to have Zach Levine, if you're going to turn things over to him, uh, he's the kind of guy you want uh, with him, sort of similar to what you'd want with Booker. Yeah, I like that call. He was actually on my list and why I wanted you to go first there, Max. <laughs> I didn't steal it for you because I got three kind of low, low-end low ones rather than the big fish. So Ed Davis, two for 10, Utah, great yep. pickup for them. They've just had an awesome summer. I think that roster is really starting to fill itself out and they're going to be up there, even though they're not, I guess, one of those teams that has a dynamic duo that we mentioned before. They're just going to come at you with a really strong... Uh, starting five and some great bench pieces. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu, which I mentioned on our last episode, I think I'm still a little sad that he went for 324 to Orlando. I think that's a great deal for him. Still don't quite understand what's going on in Orlando. Maybe there'll be a couple of guys that are up for trade and maybe even for mm-hmm. the Suns, possibly. I know a lot of people like Aaron Gordon, uh, Jonathan That's Isaacs. also a, uh, that's a stealth Westbrook team. Yes. Because they can use the Gordon contract as sort of like the centerpiece of it. Yep. And then I had Sadoransky as well. And and partly because of that partial guarantee in the third year, I think that's just a really smart 
bit of business for them there. And we've seen, even though I was scared of restricted free agents when we did our mock offseason, we've seen him go. We've just seen DeLon Wright go this morning to Dallas in a sign-and-trade. Uh, there's been a hell of a lot of sign-and-trades this yeah. offseason, which some smart people predicted was going to happen, and it's definitely happened that way. So um, hopefully we don't see one more sign-and-trade around Kelly Oubre, which we'll get onto in a little bit, Max. Yeah, I guess depending on what we got. But yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want it. That's, that's true. Uh, yes, all right, so we'll get to all that. But first, David, how about some did you know? Can do. So, Max, yet another did you know that you should see coming this week after what happened live while we recorded our last episode? But did you know the Suns spending $51 million on Ricky Rubio last week was the most they have spent in total dollars on a player from another team since the 15-16 offseason? Max, any guesses on who that was for and what the contract was? Fifteen, sixteen. Oh, is that Tyson Chandler? It sure is. It was the infamous Tyson Chandler signing of four years. And the years. amount of money. Oh, I want to guess it. Hold on. So I thought he made like 13 a year. I don't remember if it was flat or not, but I'm going to guess it was like 52. You are winning so far already. Nice. Tyson Chandler signed for four years and $52 million, just eclipsing Rubio by $1 million, but with one extra year. Between then and now, the Suns have really only spent big on guys they already had. There was 570 for Bledsoe and Knight. Warren's extension was four for 50, and of course, Booker's giant five-year extension that is about to kick in this year. The only other unrestricted free agent signings that spring to mind are Dudley, three for 30 a few years ago, and of course, Ariza, as we mentioned before, one for 15 last offseason. But back to Rubio and that giant investment by the Suns. Ricky, or should I say Ricard Rubio, came to the NBA in 2011 after an already lengthy career in Europe, where he was the youngest ever to play in the Spanish ACB at just 14 years old, Max. Hmm. In fact, and shout out to our good friend Chris Koffel for this fun fact on Rubio, but Ricky was the first player born in the 90s to play in the EuroLeague at just 16 years of age and then became the first player born in the 90s to be drafted in the NBA later too. That was 2009, actually, Max, and Rubio took a couple of years to actually come over to the NBA. First real quiz for you here, Max. The Suns have actually added three former lottery picks to go with Cam Johnson this offseason. Can you name the year of their draft and what pick they were? Firstly, there's Rubio, and I've given you the first answer with it being 2009, but what pick was Ricky? Um, I think he was five. Correct. Behind Griffin, The Beat, Harden, and Tyreek Evans, and just in front of Steph Curry. Next and Johnny is, Flynn, right? What was Johnny Flynn six? Was he? That was back to back. They went right. Yes, uh, that, that infamous bad. Wolves draft. Uh, <laughs> next was Dario Saric. What year was he? And what pick, Max? Hmm, I think he was pick number eleven or Ooh, twelve. Almost. Twelve. Yep. All right, twelve, I'll give okay. you that. And was that twenty fourteen? You are on a roll, just in front of TJ Warren and Zach Levine, but like Rubio, didn't come later from Europe until 2016. This one should be easy, Max, to finish off your great run here. Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky went in the Devin Booker draft 2015. I think he was number nine? Correct. Before Winslow, 
Turner, Lyles, Booker, and of course, hopefully, our very own Kelly Oubre went I only remember 15. that one because of uh, the ridiculousness of the Celtics trying to trade up like everything for, for Winslow. Yeah. And then Michael Jordan saying no to take Kaminsky. So that was fun. Yeah, I thought that might be what, what got it for you. So that brings the total number of lottery picks on this team to seven max, with those four joining Booker, Ayton, and Bridges on the current roster. But for those playing at home, seven is obviously an important number to this podcast and is also the number of lottery picks Ryan McDonough had during his tenure. Outside of Booker and Ayton, they became Len, Warren, Bender, Chris, and Jackson. Just a horrible draft record overall. But again, to Rubio now, I referenced his early age records before, and in fact, he took a little while to come to the NBA, so I think most people listening might have been a little shocked to learn he is only 28 years of age. I was a little too, especially when comparing that to some other point guards around the league. He's considerably younger than Steph Curry at 31, only one year older than the person we are talking about before and a rumored Suns target, Corey Joseph. Three months younger than Damian Lillard, believe it or not. That was nuts. And also, believe it or not, Max, he's younger than the Suns' recent draft pick, Cameron Johnson. (laughs) I I almost was like, oh, wait, really? Then I was like, wait, shut up, David. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah, that one's one's a joke, but the rest are true, and Rubio will still be the second oldest on the current roster behind the big Aussie, Aaron Baines. And that brings me to my last fun fact on Rubio before we end with another quick quiz for you that I know you love, Max. Rubio comes to Phoenix to play with an Aussie in Baines, but his early career actually started with an Aussie too. Rubio and recent Jazz teammate Joe Ingles were actually teammates and roommates together at Barcelona back in 2010. Wow. But now onto that quiz to finish. With eight seasons in the NBA, Rubio has had some time to rack up some impressive career highs. So Max, I want you to have a stab at guessing some for me here. Firstly, mm-hmm. Rubio has led the NBA for a single season in steals in 13-14 and also had the best steal percentage in three single seasons. But what would you say is his game high for steals, Max? Interesting. You know, that's one of those things where it doesn't necessarily have to be very high, even if you're the SEAL leader. So I'm going to guess a little lower. I'm going to say five. It's eight. Wow, that is very high, though. (laughs) Yep, he's done it twice against the Knicks and the Bucks. Now, he's also known as a bit of a passing wizard. So, Max, what is his game high for assists, do you think? I'll go with 18. Ooh, very close. He had 19 in the 16-17 season versus the Wizards with six turnovers in that one. Rubio has only averaged 4.2 boards a game, Max, but impressively has hit double digits in a game for every season in his career bar two, his first and his last. So what do you think his high is then, Max? 13? Right on the money. Wow. Wow. He's done that against the Spurs twice, interestingly. And finally, not known as a scorer, but how many would you guess is Rubio's career high in points? Interesting. So I mean, he's played for so long, he has to have had a 30-point game, I imagine. So I'm mm-hmm. going to guess like 33. 
34, and not that long mm. ago, actually, in a win over the Spurs on 11 of 14 shooting. Now, Max, before we jump into a detailed chat about the Suns' offseason, I will leave you with this Rubio quote that I found interesting in the context of Suns fans and the current state of the team and all the outside noise. My Spanish is horrible, so I won't try that. (laughs) But translated to English, it is, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. And that's it for this week, Max. (laughs) Let's focus on what the Suns did to improve rather than what they didn't do, shall we? You don't have any more questions for me? I'm finally getting them right. (laughs) You're on a roll, that one. (laughs) All right. Yeah, so now the Suns' offseason is nearly complete. We want to uh, kind of take a high-level look at what they did. Uh, Since we've really only had a chance to really react in the moment to a lot of what happened. Yeah. But first, let's start with Oubre, because that's the one thing that's kind of outstanding here. Mm -hmm. Uh, David, do you want to start with kind of how you're feeling about the situation and what's going on here? I feel bad for Kelly. I think it's gone about as bad as it it could for Oubre, um, you know, to be honest. But, you know, I want to stress that it was kind of also expected. Restricted free agency is just a bit of a prick of a thing for mm-hmm. NBA players, and that's the real issue here. I don't think anything that Phoenix's side has done or anything that the Oubre camp has done has contributed to this. Um, I think it's just the way that it goes. All the cap space really dried up. Uh, I think there's really only Dallas still after the right signing has enough cap space, I believe, if they wanted to go down that route. Uh, and I think Atlanta as well um, has enough that the Suns would probably match it, but they'd be able to sign him. But I don't think either of those teams look like likely destinations for Ubre anyway. But probably the only other thing that I would note before throwing to you on your thoughts is there hasn't been leaks from either side. So I don't mm. think this is messy. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of Suns fans overreact and think that the Suns are doing the right thing by Kelly and they've lowballed him and we just don't have any reports of that happening. And if it was happening, I think we would get it leaked from Ubre's side to maybe start the PR nightmare a little bit for the Suns. So I'm still hopeful. I think there's still a chance now that everything has settled around Kawhi that, you know, they just come and announce a pretty reasonable deal for both sides. What do you think? I, I tend to agree with you. I'm still pretty optimistic, although I'm a little concerned that it's if it doesn't happen today or tomorrow, I'll start to get a little concerned that there's someone's being unreasonable here. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's it's likely Ubre's side that's being unreasonable. I think they probably had pretty big expectations given how well things went here. Agreed. And I mean, we we heard Woj constantly saying things like, "Oh wow, that market for Ubre is going to be something." <laughs> uh, by the way, this is why you don't listen to what people report when it's coming directly from agents' mouths. Uh, let this let this be a lesson, Agreed. everybody. <laughs> Agreed. But uh, I think it's more likely that Ubre's camp has been demanding, you know, whatever they're demanding, fifteen million dollars a year, eighteen million dollars a year. I, I just, you know, it's just guessing at this point. And the Suns are being a little more reasonable with their offers given the market that he has. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably just going to be a matter of Ubre and his side coming down with the reality of the situation because, as you made the point before, there I don't think the uh, taking the qualifying offer is really realistic for him. It's just too low. Uh, if the Suns are going to be offering significant money, uh, you know maybe maybe Ubre asked for a player option uh, so that he can get out of it if he, if he wants to prove himself. But I don't think the the tact here to take is to prove yourself on a qualifying offer. Yeah. And the last and the last one I want to make, and then I'll, we'll go back to you to, to react to it is, I think one reason why Ubre's market may have been a little bit uh, overestimated going into this is that 
especially with risk of free agency, but with free agents in general, teams are really trying to target something their team absolutely needs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, we really need a point guard who does this, or we really need a big for this particular role, especially since so many teams are good now. Um, Kelly Oubre, while he was really good in Phoenix last year towards the end, and while he has a lot of potential, I think he's still quite young, mm-hmm. it's really hard to be like, oh, we really need this one thing, so let's go get Oubre for that. It doesn't really fit into any of those holes, or, you know, it doesn't really, there's not one skill you go out to acquire him for. So I think that maybe why his market has been cooler than people expected it to be, and why I think ultimately what this comes down to is Oubre stays with the Suns on something that's a lot lower than a lot of us thought he may have been signing a couple months ago. Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think, you know, off that point, I think you could argue that the team that desperately needs him the most is the Suns right now, yes, particularly yes. because of their offseason. You know, his athleticism is a glaring hole when you look at this roster from the top down that the Suns really need, so that's why I'm still pretty positive, but, you know, I wanted to touch on the qualifying offer stuff, just the math of that quickly, of why I think it's extremely mm-hmm. unlikely. His qualifying offers $4.9 million to take that this year and just play out the year and become an unrestricted free agent. You know, what I've been saying is a reasonable deal all along is four for 50. And I think if they front load that, the first year will be around $14 million. So that's essentially a difference of $10 million straight away between the qualifying offer and his first year under a reasonable Suns contract so when you talk about betting on yourself you've essentially got to make that 10 mil back and then some or else it hasn't really Mm -hmm. been worth it so on that deal that i've said four for 50 the next three years he would be three for 35 so he'd need to be pretty confident that he can play a certain way stay healthy um, and then cash in on a deal that's at least three for 45 next year max and i just don't think even though it is a dead free agency as a lot of people say i just don't think that that is a reasonable investment to make in yourself when you've got a guaranteed deal on the table obviously i'm speculating a little bit we don't know what the suns are actually offering but i would imagine it's somewhere in that region so i'll throw it to you to finish maybe on Ubre. what do you if you had to guess right now what the final deal is what what would you guess for Ubre and the Suns, it's a really hard question, but a good one. I think a little lower than you're than you're contemplating. Yep. Um, I think it'll probably be a three-year deal with a third year being a player option. Okay. Because um, I think he's going to want to kind of you know have the kind of kind of take both best of both worlds here, get some money, but also allow himself a chance to exceed. And that's and not the money. worst worst thing for the Suns either. If we're no, being honest, no, not at all. No, I actually think I'd prefer it, but uh, I think it'd probably be something like. Uh, three years, thirty-six with a player option, something like that. Okay, yep, that's that's good. That's you know twelve mil a year, which is enough for Kelly. Um, and as you said, could suit both sides. You know, freeing up cap space before Aiton and Bridges kick in, um, and essentially matching him up with Rubio. So the off season would kind of all be in sync together if that was the type of deal. And you know, maybe that's what the Suns are offering too. We just don't know because. As I said before, there's been no leaks, really, from either nope. side, which is a good sign, I think, for, for this front office because, you know, I think back to uh, the Bledsoe negotiations, for instance. Obviously, Rich Paul was on one side of those and, and likes to use the media to his advantage as much as possible, but this seems like a, an amicable negotiation, at least so far, that isn't messy just yet. So 
Don't panic just yet, Suns fans. We've got plenty of time to get this one sorted. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, it, it, yeah, like you say, it could get messy. But right now, what almost definitely happened is, you know, Ubre's team came in asking for $18 million a year. The Suns came in and said, we'll give you 10 And that's where they were to start. And they said, let's wait and see what free agency does. And free agency was horrible for Ubre. So <laughs> both sides will meet in the middle somewhere as all negotiations go. But that middle is going to be closer to where the Suns were. Yep. Um, and that's just going to take a while for Ubre and his team to get down there. That's my guess of what's going on. Obviously, we don't have inside information. But I think panicking right now is, is probably a little premature. Um, all right. Is that it on Ubre, David? You want me to run down what the Suns have done so we can talk about it? Let's do it. All right, so here's been the Suns' offseason so far. They fired Igor after one season and then hired Ooh. Monty Williams on a... F- Sorry, that's the first thing in chronological order, David. I had to start with it. <laughs> fired Igor after one season and hired Monty Williams on a five-year deal. They then traded forward TJ Warren and number 32 overall to the Indianapolis Papers for cash. Uh, I said Indianapolis Pacers, Indiana Pacers, uh, which essentially was cap space. They then traded number six to Minnesota for number 11 and Dario Saric. They then mm-hmm. drafted Cam Johnson at number 11. They traded the Milwaukee pick to Boston for number 24 and Aaron Baines using the number 24 pick on Ty Jerome. They then signed undrafted free agent Jalen LeCue, gave him a four-year rookie minimum deal. Mm-hmm. And under somewhat strange circumstances, not sure what happened, Tariq Owens, maybe summer league, maybe two-way, but he, I guess, is maybe on the team. Uh, they then signed Ricky Rubio to a three-year $51 million deal, signed Frank Kaminsky to a two-year 10-ish million dollar deal, basically a room exception deal. Yep. And then, as discussed earlier, they traded Josh X and DeAnthony Melton with some second round pick capital for $3 million in cap space and Javon Carter. Uh, David, that is what they did. Do you want to just kind of give your overall thoughts on it? Well, firstly, I'd probably touch on something that both you and I, I think, coincidentally have tweeted about in the last week. I saw yours um, and mine was under similar circumstances, I think. And, and funnily enough, because I don't think we've talked about this directly with each other, but you know, I think it's a good starting point for a overall view of the offseason. I think we both observed last week, after most of the deals had been done, that the Suns are essentially all in on Booker and Aiton, mm-hmm. and they're building around them properly this offseason. Uh, and it definitely feels like that's the outlook going forward, whether that's right or wrong, or whether there's people who think that they should have gone harder at a third star, maybe a D'Angelo Russell or something like that. I think it's a valid point, something worth discussing and debating. But from a Suns front office point of view, just looking at these moves, I think this is them saying, that's our two guys and we're going to invest in them is the word that I used. You phrased it a little bit differently to me, but you know, all these moves, Rubio, the shooting of Saric and Frank, you know, making sure there's enough playmaking, not getting rid of Tyler Johnson, at least just yet. And what I suspect will be eventually bringing back Kelly Oubre plus drafting, I guess, older, smarter, uh, and good shooting players. There's a pretty clear method to the madness here, Max. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. That, I think we both have the exact same view on this. The point here for James Jones was... You know, I'd love to fight you on it, but we, we, we just agree, unfortunately. <laughs> should, we go, should we go back to Igor and Mani? Uh, <laughs> he clearly wants... He wanted to turn over the roster using any means necessary. Yep. He was going to... McDonough said last year he was going to bring in three to five vets and didn't do it. He said there, were only, there weren't going to be any new rookies in the roster. There were a ton of new rookies. James Jones said similar things to what McDonough said, but then actually accomplished it by any means 
necessary. He threw yeah. out the bad apples. He made sure Josh wasn't here anymore. Uh, he got TJ out. Not necessarily a bad apple, but somebody who was not going to work on this team. Uh, you know, those deals, trash asset value-wise, I think is, is fair for the Josh Jackson trade. I, For me, the TJ trade, not as much. I think that was a fine yep. trade. Um, but I, I also, I actually, uh, a quick aside... I did realize that the TJ trade and the number six pick trade, like I thought those were like properly valued deals, but I'm also the lowest person in the world on TJ Warren and the 2019 <laughs> drafts. So the fact that I thought those were properly valued probably means I didn't get enough because I probably should have seen those as home runs yep. if they were to make those trades. So that's as an aside. The, the key point here is the value was thrown out the window. Uh, James Jones doesn't care about assets. He says, keep your assets. I just want my good players to be good. I want Aiton and Booker to succeed, and mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, Mikel and Oubre. I, I need those guys to be in a good, real, working NBA atmosphere. And at the end of the day, whether or not I have a couple extra second-round picks in 2022 doesn't matter nearly as much as whether or not Booker and Aiton are in the All-Star, team, or in All-Star game uh, in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was trying to make this point a little bit earlier when we were talking about Melton at the start of the show, and I think I, I got sidetracked with a couple of other points, but you know we've touched on it quite a bit. The Suns are probably going to get trashed for a lot of these single deals value-wise and mm-hmm. may continue to do so while they tinker around this roster. But if you take a step back, look over it from a bird's-eye view, I think it's very clear to see that they're willing to take, I guess, those losses in the initial sense to turn over this roster and, and get it looking more like an NBA roster because, you know, mm. I was blinded by it in certain scenarios when uh, we're right in the midst of McDonough trying to, I guess, grab assets and, and, you know, bring stars to this team, but he just never put a balanced roster on the floor, Max. And nope. when you've got a guy like Devin Booker and then have just drafted DeAndre Ayton, you just can't afford to do that. Like you've got to put the right pieces around these guys to help them succeed on the floor. They can't do everything themselves. You know, Booker has already gone far and above what we ever expected of him as a player when the Suns drafted him at 13 in that 2015 draft. Ayton had a great rookie season, despite not having a point guard, despite all the turmoil, you know, a coach that only lasted one year, you know, everything that went on last off season as well. So, you know, They've already uh, beat out a lot of the odds of what McDonough and the Suns have thrown at them. And now Jones is trying to give him a chance. Speaking of Ryan McDonough completely failing to put a working roster around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, I have a little, I have something that I think demonstrates that quite well, David. I, I took a look at the box score from last year's season opener between Dallas and Phoenix and the minute totals. Ooh, I like and I'm, it. I'm ready to uh, compare those to what the opening night this year in order of minutes expected is going to look like. You, you ready for this? I am ready. Last year, so again, we're putting Booker and Aiton to the side. Last year, the guards who played minutes for the Suns were Isaiah Cannon, who played 34 minutes. Not Josh currently Jackson, on a team. Not currently on a team. Josh Jackson, who played 28 minutes. Just got done. Elia Kobo, who played eight. And may still be on the roster, but we'll see about that. Probably traded. And then Troy Daniels, who played four minutes. And probably should have played more and never played the rest of the season, really, until the end. <laughs> so, so those are the guards. And now our guards are Ricky Rubio, Tyler Johnson, and Ty Jerome. I'd say the guard maybe a bit of an upgrade there. What do you think, David? Just a little bit. We went into this offseason desperately needing guards and have addressed that from a couple of different standpoints. And uh, we'll get onto it in a little bit, but I, I love Rubio uh, with Booker and without Booker staggering them a little bit 
Um, and I think Tyler's a great third guy for both of those in that situation. But do go on, please. Certainly better than Cannon and Jackson in those roles. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we thought the guards were the biggest problem, right? Oh, they didn't have a guard. Let's take a look at the wings real quick. Opening night last year, Trevor Ariza played 37 minutes. TJ Warren played 24. That is now going to be Mikel Bridges, who didn't play in that game. Uh, Kelly Oubre and Cam Johnson. I would say uh, upgrade there. Yep, I agree. And then we'll look at the bigs, which is really the one that may have stunned me the most. So the bigs who played besides Aiton in that game were Ryan Anderson, 24 minutes, Ugh. and Tyson Chandler, 12 minutes. Ugh. That is now going to be Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, and Frank Kaminsky. So I guess my big point here, David, is that across the board, this team is going to be more confident at every single position. I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's, there's, I'd love to fight with you again, but... You know, I am a little bit cautious because I remember last offseason, um, you know, the options weren't plentiful, but being somewhat positive. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned between last offseason and this offseason is McDonough's biggest mistake is he left literally no margin for error. Like everything mm-hmm. had to go perfectly. And we know in the NBA that that's not the case. You know, Anderson wasn't the player that we thought we were getting. Ariza wasn't the player that we thought we were getting. Isaiah Cannon couldn't do anything on the court after that broken ankle and coming back from that. Um, you know, the other rotation pieces, whether they were young kids or veterans, just didn't have it on the court, whether it was Jackson hurting your team. I think Chandler hurt the team with his play early on in the year. So, yeah, there was just no margin for error with that team, and literally everything went wrong. Whereas I look at this roster now, we could get a couple of injuries, some guys could be off form. And there's other options to step up and put into their place. And that's the biggest thing for me here. And, you know, we've kind of robbed Dario Saric a little bit um, on this pod because we had the draft recap stuff where he was traded in. And then, you know, it was all about free agency and initial reactions. So we haven't spoken about him a hell of a lot, but he's a great passer for his size and position and particularly makes quick decisions with the ball as well. And I think... When we're talking about Booker and Aiton specifically, the Suns are going to be able to roll out lineups now where the other three guys on the court can feed Aiton plus Booker, uh, and the other three guys on the court can space for Booker and Aiton as well. So, you know, from that perspective, the starting five, how that all looks on the floor, I think the five guys are going to be able to roll out there. Again, great investment in the two stars here. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear they want to have a heavy ball movement sort of style here. Uh, other than Booker, who's going to get the green light to ISO whenever the hell he wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the guys are going to have to be moving the ball around. Rubio, and uh, like you said, Sarge, and Aiton, I think, are going to be you know skipping it around a little bit. Not sure who they're going to start at the wing, whether it's Uber or Mikel, but I think it's going to be a large focus. That's one uh, thing I, I, we do fight on. That's one thing we do fight on. Yeah, I, I think Mikel makes a little more sense there, but I, I, I'm fine with Ubre starting. It's not going to be in the world to me. I just think Ubre could be more valuable on the bench because he's going to be probably the best scorer on the bench if that's where he is. Yep. Um, but I mean, particularly to start the season, I'm going to be fine if they do that. If they think, especially if they think Ubre is better, then I'm fine. Start your best five. The Suns aren't talented enough to, to get cute yep. when it comes to lineups. Um, but yeah, you said uh, McDonough didn't leave them any margin for error. I think that's true for most of the roster, but I would say Isaiah Cannon starting point guard is probably less than that. Even <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> like a negative margin for error already. So yeah, it just I I understood. And Kellen Olson made this point in a reply to me that yeah, you you could be you know excited about the supporting cast, but they still have to play well. They haven't in years past. 
Uh, fair enough, but th- this supporting cast is, you know, leagues better on paper even than the other ones were. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more reason to think these guys won't suck. A lot of them are younger. Uh, you know, a lot of them are fighting for contracts a little more, like Tyler Johnson, for example. So, Dario Saric. I don't expect these guys to totally, you know, just just uh, tune out of the season the way Tyson Chandler and Trevor Ariza did. Yeah. But we'll see, though. You never know. Injuries can happen or whatever. But I think there is a lot of reason to expect this team to be better. And then I guess maybe one reason we can fight about a little bit real quick is the coaching thing. Yes. Um, I think Igor Kokoskov, again, I've said, I think he's probably a better X's and O's coach than Monty is. Uh, it's kind of unfair to Monty to even guess what he's going to be because the only real uh, stuff we have on him was from you know five years ago, whatever it was. Yep. So we'll see on him. But there's not a lot to be encouraged uh, with there. I do think, though, just it's really not a slight to Igor. It's just Monty Williams is one of those guys who, in NBA circles, is you know commands respect, one of the most respected people in the league, and I think that's going to spill over to the locker room just because these guys are going to have know who he is. They're going to know about him. They're going to know his reputation. Yeah. And just by sort of that reason alone, that gravitas, they're going to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, even if the exos aren't as good, at least I think they'll be trying harder. At least I would hope if they have somebody like that in the room with them. So I, I think that from that perspective, and also the final point I'll make, I'll let you turn it over. They were People were being gifted minutes under McDonough. Uh, Marquise Chris, uh, Dragon Bender stick out the most. Josh Jackson. Gifted minutes. Josh, Josh Jackson is another one. I don't think it's going to be happening anymore. <laughs> I think that's a big reason why guys like Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome got picked because guess what? If those guys aren't good, they're just going to go to the bench. Yep. Uh, they, they don't I've, have to worry about Jarrett Culver at six playing him. So I, I think that's a big thing Monty will do too. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've copped some heat for that, essentially putting out depth charts and, and minutes allocations and not having Cam Johnson or Jerome in those at the moment. And people are, you know, Cam Johnson was a pick 11. Of course he's going to play it. That's my my answer to it is exactly what you've just said, Max. If, if they earn the minutes, they'll play. If they don't, mm-hmm. then there's other guys that are, are willing to take their spot. I don't necessarily disagree with you on the Monty stuff. I think you make a great point about him being out of the league for a while. And you know, there's a lot of miracle work getting done on Twitter at the moment with what Monty's going to be able to do. You know, There was even a comment about him changing Russell Westbrook's style of play if he came to the Suns. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's a good man. He's well-respected, but he's not a complete miracle worker. Russell Westbrook's played that way for his whole career. He's not going to not... Uh, he's not going to stop just because Monty Williams asked him to. But, you know, I, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, we're in this situation. I, I put my hand up uh, yesterday and said the same thing about Igor is, you know, when we don't have anything to go off, we talk about them being great. But, you know, I'm just excited to see what they what he can actually do on the court when the season starts because right now we're... Um, maybe being a little bit too positive towards him. But, you know, I just look at this roster and go, you know, gee, Eagle would have loved to have some of these players <laughs> last offseason. And that's the clear disparity here between McDonough and James Jones is McDonough didn't have the balls to go and get a point guard, uh, you know, the first day of free agency. You know, he tried to wait it out and get the best value play and then it didn't come and he lost his job. And Jones isn't... Um, scared to do that. He's taking the heat. He's taken a lot of heat for a lot of these moves, but he's putting a roster in place that uh, is at least going to be able to succeed and he's not leaving it too late. You know, my biggest criticism last year and in retrospect is, you know, they made all their moves really late. Then Devin Booker got injured. It wasn't there for training camp. They were trying to learn all this new game style. Now Jones has got them a full roster 
Uh, they're going to be able to start training together and training camp is going to start as pretty much the full roster. They might tinker with things a little bit further with some last minute roster changes, but this is pretty much it, Max. And, you know, everyone's going to know their role pretty early on and, and be able to learn it. And I guess just touching on some of those guys that you mentioned from last year, you know, I don't know if you remember Anderson clanking threes from downtown or, you know, even Bender later <laughs> in the year. Bender only shot 22% on wide open threes. You know, I, I don't know if you... I know you saw my Frank one about shooting 37% mm -hmm. on wide open threes, which is a pretty great number. Dario Saric shot 38% from three with mini last season. If you wow. look at his uh, full season totals, his start with Philadelphia really drags that down because I think he only shot 30% or something with them. But 38% when he moved over to Minnesota, and he's 40% from straight on above the break which, you know, you look wow. at him with uh, Embiid and Carl Towns and then you kind of put in DeAndre Ayton working down low. The fact that he can shoot 40% from straight on at the top of the key and then you've got, you know, your wings in the corners is a massive asset to have. So, you know, I, I'm really loving that Saric move. You know, he's a restricted free agent next offseason as well. So similar situation to Kelly Oubre if things go right. But they can also just let him go if it doesn't go all to plan either. And from that pers perspective, I just wanted to touch on a couple of options here for the Suns going forward. We mentioned it before with Ubre's contract, and I think you said it may affect uh, our cap room next year. But you put Tyler's 19, Saric's 4, Baines's 5 together. You've already got 30 mil there for a possible trade this season if they find an upgrade at power forward which is looking like it could be the last piece that this team needs if everything love. <clears throat> yep if everything works out they've got their point guard Mikhail Bridges and Ubre should be enough at the small forward spot so maybe power forward is the the last spot and and Kevin Love as you say is is right there uh but you know if they don't go that angle Saric has got a 10 mil cap hold, so as I said, can do something very similar than what they have with Ubre and pay him over the cap next offseason. But there's also a scenario where they can just renounce him if they want, and with a few other moves, they can get up to around 35 mil in space, and that's even with a reasonable Ubre deal, I believe, Max. So uh, I would cough uh, Draymond Green in that scenario. Hmm. I, so, I mean, I love Draymond Green. I really do. I, a lot of people don't like him mostly because of his attitude, which I get. He's Draymond Green. Um, but man, he's just such a good defender. I think he's got a large argument for being the best defender of this past decade. Yep. Uh, just, just how versatile he is, uh, how many different things he can do. He's also a pretty good playmaker on offense. Can't shoot, obviously, but his playmaking is, uh, I don't know if it's underrated on that, on that end because people, he gets credit for it, but it, it is really good. I mean, man, I don't. The big question. So the Suns would have to overachieve this year, and win like forty games, right? For that yes. to make a lot of sense for them. Very much. Because otherwise, he wouldn't want to come here, and they probably wouldn't want to sign him. But yeah, in a scenario where they are, you know, on that precipice, it feels like they're actually going you know, to possibly be a playoff team. Booker and Aiton are both, you know, clearly all star bound. That's a guy that you know makes a lot of sense to someone to put you over the top. You get a little concerned about the age because what is he going to be thirty or something? Yeah, it'd be uh, a huge risk, and maybe he would come to the Suns because they're the only team willing to take that risk, I suppose, yeah. at, at max money uh, for max years, perhaps. But 
Um, yeah, just some options. We're, we're spitballing going even further ahead forward here, but just wanted to touch on that because a few people have asked, and there are options with both trades this season and free agency next season, um, even with Saric and Ubre on the books at the moment. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And I guess just to put a bow on it from my perspective, and then I'll, I'll let you close out too. Um, I, I totally understand why people are grading over these asset things. I, I get it. We're all nerds here. Not all, but most. We all listen to Nerdcast. We're nerds. <laughs> uh, it sucks to see these deals where the Suns ostensibly lose and you know NBA Twitter laughs at us and all that stuff. It's not fun. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're looking at a much better roster than we had last year. We're, we're looking at a roster that conceivably could win 40 games at Booker and Aiton Achieve, which I, I just don't think was even possible last season at all. Yep. yep. Uh, and, and honestly, at the end, of the, that's the most important thing. If, if Booker and Aiton fail, in large part because of the, the disaster of an organization around them, they just couldn't put together a team that was capable of winning 35 wins, would have been the ultimate disaster. That's the biggest disaster you can have as a franchise. Mm-hmm. And if you have to give away a, a second-round pick or two or a, or a DeAnthony Melton and it's painful in the moment, you could have done it different ways, totally understandable, all problems. If at the end of the day, what, what that gets us is instead of McDonald just spinning it over, over, over again with assets and just you know failing to put a team together, we instead we get a real cohesive team uh, under a, a coach who maybe not the best coach, but actually gets the guys to play hard and they start to show some progress. Like I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about the summer anymore if, if that's what the Suns do next season. Yep, I totally agree. And maybe we should finish off here with some Ricky Rubio thoughts because you know sure. everyone's been talking about him setting the table here for this team, and we've just talked for you know a lengthy period of time about them setting up properly around Booker and Aiton uh, with shooters, and and Rubio's really going to be the engine that they've brought in to run that. And just wanted to throw out a couple of points. Polar Fall on Twitter, who's a, a great follow and friend of this podcast that we always seem to bring up. You know, we were talking about Ricky Rubio, and uh, he brought up that Rubio was only second to Harden last year and equal with Luka Doncic in terms of what they call quantified shot quality, which is essentially Mm. your ability to find shooters uh, in their spots and for them to hit those shots. So Rubio is a true point point guard in, in every sense when it comes to that. And Chris Hansen also brought up, you know, has Rubio ever had a team like this before with this many shooters and, or when was the last time? And I think the answer might be never, you know, you just Mm. in a position where, you know, that jazz team for him wasn't ideal. And then those early Minnesota teams, obviously he had Kevin love, but you know, the reason that team broke up was because they struggled to put the necessary pieces around those two as well. So, you know, I think I'm really excited for Rubio um, potentially having a somewhat of a bounce back year with this squad because I think he's going to be given the duty to be the engine, as I said. And probably the only other thing I'd bring up is, um, you know, staggering him with book. I think I love that yep. idea. Um, it means, you know, particularly when you compare to last year, I'm right away just a lot more comfortable with, I guess, the rock being in either of their hands for the full 48 minutes um, with some pretty good. Uh, pieces around them and as I mentioned before I think Tyler is a third guard who can possibly play a little bit of point and a little bit of shooting guard is actually the perfect fit if you do look to stagger both book book and Rubio yeah I agree you can play with both those guys that actually makes a lot of sense and I think that is something they should do 
Um, yeah, I mean, a lot. Of, I'm definitely falling victim to talk yourself into the player your team got itis here. <laughs> but uh, I agree. I, the more I think about Rubio, the more I understand why he was a uh, prime target for the Suns. We we focus a lot on this podcast, especially me, and but you also do on on shooting. Yep. And then also uh, defense to a lesser extent. Rubio checks one of those boxes, but doesn't check the shooting box entirely. He's not he's not worthless from there. Yeah. But he's been you know struggle, struggles at best. Uh, but I think what I especially underlooked and I think sorry overlooked and what you did to an extent too probably everybody kind of did but you just you know did a great job uh, articulating there is that Ricky Rubio is you know the quintessential like point guard in the NBA he's like the quintessential NBA capital NBA point guard <laughs> yep he, he he's just gonna be competent there he's gonna run your team he's gonna run your offense and I would argue the Suns haven't had someone like that since probably Goran Dragic. Uh, even Bledsoe, I don't think is that. Uh, Bledsoe's a good player if he's in the right role. I think Milwaukee is a good spot for him to show off what he does well. Mm-hmm. But he's really not the the full table setting point guard for your team. That's somebody like Ricky Rubio is. He doesn't. The, the thing about uh, uh, the truly great point guards is it's it's beyond just they're able to pass well as a mechanical thing, or you know shoot well or anything like that. They feel the game very well. They know where their teammates like the ball. They yep. know who hasn't gotten shot in a while and who could use one. They just they have a good feel for the game in that way. And I think it's been a while since the Suns have had somebody like that. Even Booker, who I praise as a point guard, isn't that. He just has a really good court vision and, and some pretty good passing mechanics. But he's not there in terms of like a, I know how to get the whole team involved sort of thing. Yep. And maybe that's another underrated part of this. I haven't thought of that this till now, but maybe Rubio can help Booker learn how to be a better point guard. Yeah, I love pure points. You know, it's probably my biggest love of watching basketball. So what Mm -hmm. you mentioned before about talking yourself into a player that landed on your team is certainly something that I'm guilty of because I just love pure points. I I love what you were saying before. I think I would add tempo to that. I think a proper Mm -hmm. point Mm -hmm. guard knows when to pick up the game, when to slow it down, really controls the game. And I agree, Bledsoe isn't that type of point guard. He's kind of one-paced does it all for himself and um you know i guess sharing with his teammates comes on the back of any pressure that he feels himself trying to make a play whereas rubio's the antithesis of that he kind of you know is looking to bring everyone in and you know i'd I'd throw to lebron james there you know some anecdotes we've had with him i think when corva joined his team with the Cavs, you know james was asking him where he wants the ball and you know, where he likes it in his shooting pocket and, you know, where his spots are on the floor. And within like two days, LeBron had nailed it all and was kind of delivering Mm -hmm. him the ball exactly where he wants. And that's what a good point guard does and a good passer does. And I think we're going to see that with Ricky Rubio. But, you know, interesting that you brought up there falling in love with the guy that your team got, because I think we're all guilty of doing that. But now that everyone's essentially signed here, we do have a situation where we've got comparisons and, you know, I look at a lot of the deals and I'm not sure there's too many of them, particularly ones that the Suns were going to be able to get in on that I would pick over Rubio. And, you know, we said it, the Suns had to address this and free agency was going to be the best way to do that rather than going the McDonough route of waiting for a trade that never comes. So I'll throw some at here, you, and, and you can tell me, I guess, whether you there is the caveat of whether the Suns could do the deal or not, but yeah. whether, whether you'd pre- prefer it. So Rubio's three years at 17 a year. Kyrie is four years at 35 a year. I think we can just 
cross a line through that one that he was never going to come to Phoenix, so that's not no. one that we need to discuss. And I think Kemba is in the same range there in terms yep. of one that they can't do. So just get, for posterity's sake, yeah, yeah, I take both those guys over Rubio. <laughs> yeah, cool. D'Angelo Russell, four years, twenty nine point two million dollars a year. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Rubio, guys. I, I know that's going to be unpopular with the low hive, but uh, I just think what Rubio does is, is better for this team. Malcolm Brogdon, four years, 21.25, plus the assets that it took to do the sign and trade. Uh, I, I think I'm going Brogdon skill. I just, I really, really like the shooting, but yep. I, I wouldn't think someone's crazy for saying Rubio. Patrick Beverly, three years, $13.3 million per year. Beverly for the uh, sort of the you know the intensity factor, the defense also can shoot a little bit. I, I'd go him, but we're getting closer to the range. Rozier, three years, nineteen point three million. I mean, obviously Terry Rozier, one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> easy, easy choice. No, that, that one's a that's a clear Rubio on that one. Derek Rose, two years, seven point five a year. Gimme Ricky Rubio. Alfred Payton, two years, eight million dollars a year. <laughs> uh, hair or no hair? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Irrelevant, I would go Ricky Rubio. With that one. This one's interesting. Sadoransky, three years, $10 million a year. Yeah, that I thought about that one before. I, I think that's the last one I'm going to go with him over Rubio just because of the cost savings, especially with the partially guaranteed and just because I love his fit so much. Yeah. Corey Joseph, three years, 13.3 a year or 12.3 yeah. <laughs> That one's not close. Let's go with Ricky. Yep. And then I guess one that I don't have down because it's essentially dropped while we're recording, but DeLon Wright, three years, and I believe it's around eight, nine million dollars plus a couple of second round picks to get it done. Now, this is probably a talk yourself into a version. I may have said DeLon before this all happened, but the more I think about it, I think I just underrated how much the Suns needed a true table setter. So I'd, I'd go with Ricky for the Suns. Yep. And I pretty much agree with most of your choices there. I think given, and what I really wanted to outline is, okay, maybe they didn't get choice number one now that the dust has settled on all of those deals. But mm-hmm. when you factor in that they needed to get this done and couldn't miss out on, I guess, plan B or C and end up with plan E or F, I think they've done a pretty good job here, Max. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's, I think it's strange. I, I understand thinking that the deal is maybe a slight overpay or being a little disappointed because you wanted somebody else or, or whatever. I, I don't totally understand the whole, like, oh, my God, what a disaster. Why are the Suns so stupid yeah. angle from this? We've been wanting a guard, a true point guard for the Suns for years now. I, I just don't – even, like, the like the Dunkton guys were kind of killing the Suns for this. I'm like, all you people talk about is how the Suns need a point guard. They sign, like, the quintessential point guard, and you're, and you're mad about it because it's possible they overpaid by $2 million a year. I just don't really get it. When Corey Joseph was the comparison for them of what they should have done, <laughs> yes, purely because yes. he fit perfectly into their cap space, I, I tuned out. That's just totally not understanding the situation as far as I'm concerned. That's just, yeah, not going to bother uh, with that. I totally agree. That's, that is fully living on the spreadsheets, David. Yep. All right, I think that's it for us besides seven seconds or less, right? Uh, unless you got some Summer League thoughts you want to get off your chest, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've gotten on enough about Summer League on Twitter. <laughs> you can go to my account there if you want to see this. <laughs> I'll just throw in because I'm a bit of a number nerd. Uh, looks like Jalen LeCue has taken number zero, which is a number that he wore early on in high school before he went to number one. And I uh, tweeted earlier this week that he was probably going to have to change from number one because a certain star already has that mm. one. 
Uh, Jerome took number 10, which was a bit of a surprise to me because I thought he would go with 11 that he wore in college. Cam Johnson took 23, which he wore at Pitt and couldn't have the 13 that he wore at North Carolina. Uh, the Ranger Banger is staying with number 46, <laughs> Max, which I love because I love odd, unique numbers. Uh, Frank Kaminsky put out a poll on Twitter of whether he should take number four or number eight, Max. Mm-hmm. So last time I looked, that was pretty close. So he's leaving it up to the people. I'd go eight if I were him. I, uh, Channing Fry was eight, right? I have some good memories about it. Yes, I like number eight for him. Uh, and Ricky isn't announced yet, uh, so we don't have a number for him. Um, but I'm going to throw 76 up there. I had a conversation cool. with some people about a number that he has worn in his Spanish days, um, which is a little patriotic of him um, with some political things going on. So I would love that again because of some um, unique number fetishes that I have, I suppose. Uh, And Dario Saric was introduced with double zero, but purely because he hasn't chosen his number yet, it sounds like. But I'd support him going double zero, especially now that LeCue has zero, because having a zero and a double zero is hilarious to me, Max. Especially the double zeros, Darius Arch. That's a hilarious <laughs> person to have a double zero. Because, you know, he's like that ultimate instigator guy, and he's like a big old white guy with a double zero. That's just a great fit to me. Love it. Uh, and then Jalen McHugh going number zero. Uh, bad decision for me, because I feel like trying to follow in the footsteps of Marquise Chris, like how are you going to overcome that giant shadow? 